thank the girls for leading us. I appreciate y'all so much. <clears throat> the longer I serve you, the sweeter he grows. Amen. Job chapter 1, if you find your place there, I'm going to be sharing with you as we continue talking about the subject of living as though we're dying. Talked to you last week about living worthy, living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to be talking to you about a second subject that I believe is very important that we must understand. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 1, the psalmist said, I'll bless the Lord part of the time. I'll bless the Lord sometimes. I'll bless the Lord in good times. Now, that's not what he said at all, is it? He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Wow, what a word from the psalmist. When Adrian Rogers signed the front of my Bible some 15, well, 20 years ago now, when he wrote his name, he wrote Psalm 34.1. I never will forget that, what an encouragement it is to this day. I'm sure that we all know that the verse that I just shared with you is a desire for us to be our testimony to the world, that the world would see that there is a continual praise and thanks to God flowing from our life, not just in the words we say, but in the way we behave. However, I want you to know we find it very difficult to praise God at all times, don't we? We'd all be lying if we said, oh, there's nothing to it. There's a whole lot to it. It's difficult. And we also find it very hard to give praise to God when we're facing hardship and especially in times of tragedy. Tragedy is the hardest things that I've experienced as a pastor, helping lead people through and difficult, tragic situations and accidents and things like that. It just, sometimes you find it's hard. But God's Word gives us clear direction and how to follow a pathway, if you will, of giving praise to Him, even while we're experiencing pain. For the life of Job today, I'm going to share some things with you that I believe can help us discover how we can have a testimony of blessing the Lord at all times. And I want to speak to you today on the subject of living with pain. Pain's something that you're going to have. Not a matter of if, it's when. And when we experience it, how do we respond? If you found your place and you're physically able, stand with me. In Job chapter 1, I will, I meant to apologize to you earlier, we've had some computer issues this week and actually trying to get that straight and we had revamped and redone our whole system there about two years ago and the computer just decided to quit and like I told them in the first service that we can't really control that we've got great people working with that here if I was in charge of the computer department the problem would not be the computer it would be the loose nut between the seat and the keyboard yeah that guy okay but that's not our case we got some computer issues in our Folks are doing a great job of getting them fixed, and we just will not have that available today. But the outline is available on the Facebook page if you're watching online and follow along with us, okay? Let's read the Word of God together. Job chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. <clears throat> also, his possessions were 
7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each of their appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of the feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and burn offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now look at verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to represent and present themselves excuse me, before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household? And around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch him, touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, in all that he has, he is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, may your word speak clearly to our hearts today. May we do as we sang earlier. May our hearts be open, that nothing would be hidden, that you would be our one desire. God, may you do a mighty work among your people today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We know from our study to the word of God, especially the book of Job, that suffering is one of the basic themes of this book. We often find ourselves in times of difficulty and suffering, and we ask ourselves some common questions, and I want to mention a couple of them. The first question we ask ourselves sometimes in the midst of suffering is, why do the righteous often suffer while unrighteous people seem to never suffer? And the second question is, is all the suffering that we experience, is it a direct result of some sin? that we have not confessed. Well, maybe there is some painful situations or circumstances in your life today. Maybe some things that are keeping you uh, from making it much more difficult for you to praise God for His goodness, for His grace, for His mercy. Maybe you're asking those questions. It seems as though the unrighteous never suffer, but it's not true. They do. We just may not see it uh, as clearly as we do our own suffering. Maybe you're asking yourself, is there something I've done to bring this calamity among myself? But, you know, maybe there's something that's going on in your life as a heartache that is only known to you and God. Maybe it's a heartache that's not even known to your closest friends, and you're really dealing with it. But whatever the situation is, my prayer is that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God today would speak to you in such a way that you would learn what true joy is and that you can experience true joy in praising God even when you're burdened and even when you're brokenhearted. Now let me mention, it will not always be easy. 
it takes a lot of work and it's not all and it can be very difficult but from the life of job we see that it is more than possible you see he experienced pain in four major areas of his life and i want you to remember this he experienced pain in his financial life because he lost everything he had if you read that resume of stuff that he had he was a very wealthy and prosperous man and i want to remind you today and i'll probably say it again before this day is out Many people will see prosperous folks in this world that have uh, many worldly possessions, if you will, and they will quickly judge that that person must be an evil, ungodly person and not a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's not always so. God does bless people, and you can be a follower of Jesus, and you can be uh, financially blessed. You can have the things, uh, you know, material possessions. But here's where the sin comes in. It's not when you have possessions. It's when your possessions have you. That's where a big difference is. So you have to remember that. And one of the major pitfalls for a lot of people who do have an enormous amount of possessions is that ultimately, instead of worshiping the God who gave them, they begin to worship the stuff that they have. And that is a dangerous thing. Job was not such a man. You read his resume, how he was a man. He was upright. He loved God. He feared God. And he shunned evil. What a testimony. But he also experienced pain emotionally in his life because he lost his children. I don't know about you, but of all the possessions I have under the sun, there's nothing means more to me than those that live in the house with me. Eh? And that should be the true with you. My, my girls, all three of them, are everything to me. So if I lost them, you know, that would be a tremendous amount of emotional pain. He also experienced physical pain because we'll read how he suffered sickness within his own body and pain that came as a result of that. And then he suffered, and the fourth area of his life was his spiritual life because even his wife, who was closest to him, I would suppose, uh, tempted him to curse God and die. So he is experiencing pain from all four major areas of his life, financial, emotional, physical, and spiritual, and he is experiencing it to a very high degree. But as he experiences pain, he learns some valuable lessons in his journey about the sovereignty of God and about the love of God. And I believe these are some lessons that you and I, if not already discovered, need to discover today. So in order to be able to give thanks for our burdens, we must understand that God has a definite purpose for allowing pain to enter our lives. And never forget this, and I have to remind myself of this quite a bit, that there's nothing that comes into my life that is not first filtered through the hands of His amazing grace. He has either ordained it into my life or He's allowed it into my life. Either, either way, it's for His purpose and glory. So I want to identify a few purposes today, if you will, and I want you to walk with me through it. <clears throat> to understand how pain does come into the life of God's children. And do remember that it's not a matter of if, but when. I mentioned earlier the great preacher Adrian Rogers. He said this about storms. He said storms of life come, and you're either in one of three places. You're either in the midst of a storm, you're coming out of that storm, or you're headed into your next storm. You say, well, you know, preacher, I wanted you to encourage me today. I came to the house of God to be encouraged, and I will encourage you to know that even though the storms are coming, you don't go through them alone if you're a child of God. And He is with you regardless of what's going on around you. So notice with me, if you will, a few things I want to bring to your attention. The first is, we learn from Job's life that pain reveals true character. The first verse of chapter 1 said he was blameless, upright, one who feared God, 
and shunned evil. Now, this is a picture of a righteous man <coughs> who was about to be subjected to the worst suffering and trials of his life beyond our comprehension. This is not the story of an ungodly man who found God through suffering and trials. This was a man who was walking with God prior to the suffering and trials. Let me say to you today, I'm grateful to God for the testimony of those who through great suffering and trial came to know Jesus Christ and were saved by His marvelous and matchless grace. I'm amazed at those testimonies and I praise God for every one of them. But I want you to know that Job's story is a little bit different. Job's story is a man who was walking with God before his trials came. He was a man who was fearing God. He was a man who was shunning evil <coughs> even when things were good. But he was also, according to chapter 3, he was a man of substance. We talked about his wealth. He had a tremendous amount of earthly wealth, but he didn't worship his wealth. Verse 4 shows us that he had an unusual degree of harmony within his family. He, they, got, they loved each other. They got along with each other. Seven sons and three daughters. My word, he needed a bunch of donkeys to keep up with that, right? No, look here. He had a large family. So they had an unusual degree of harmony. Verse 5 shows us this, that his devotion to God is also seen in his intercession for his children. Now, girls, I mentioned in the first verse, and I mentioned again, so y'all here. I, 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 have, I have been praying for my daughters since the day I knew they were coming. I didn't wait till they got here because they weren't going to get to pick their daddy. And I thought, dear God, when they see what they get, they're going to be all upset. But uh, nevertheless, and, and now that they're both engaged to be married, I prayed for them boys that they're going to marry them the day these girls were born. Did I get exactly what I was looking for? Maybe not, but I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going to be all right. I'm, but uh, here's what I prayed for, okay? And daddies, if you've got little daughters, listen up. If you've got daughters that are grown and, and, and either uh, grown and unmarried or, or grown and married, I believe you're going to agree with me. And if not, you can always come to the altar and get right with God at the end of service. But I, here's the deal. I prayed for God to send somebody in their life that would love them, that would protect them, that would provide security for them. And this is one thing I pray for the most, that would lead them. See, I didn't want my girls having to lead their husband. I wanted their husband to walk with God and lead them. Now, we're going to see if that doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen, I may be in the county jail. But I'm just saying, no, I'm cutting up. Y'all just stay with me now. I just have to see if y'all are listening every now and then. But I prayed for those things because those are the things that I believe matter to God. And I believe it's very important, and they will matter to them throughout their life. See, prior to the facing of these trials that were soon to come upon Job, he had a spotless testimony. These trials that he was subjected to revealed his devotion to God and that it was genuine. Amen? It wasn't fake. It wasn't fabricated. It was real. So he faced two major tests. And here's the first test he faced. He faced the test of the loss of his possessions and his children. Ten children and all of his stuff. Now, these losses that he sustained did not come into his life over a period of time. They were sudden, they were complete, and they were phenomenal changes. Things that would alter his life forever. If he lived another day or lived a hundred years... He would live with the losses of this day forever ingrained in his mind. 
But see, this test proved that Job's treasure, and it revealed where his treasure truly rested. I believe the Bible teaches, Jesus said something about that in the Sermon on the Mount, where man's heart is, his treasure will be also. That's why people have a hard time finding it to be faithful to God. And I'm not just talking about financially faithful to God, but I'm talking about faithful to God every area of your life and Christian stewardship. When they find it hard to do that, it's because their heart ain't right. Amen? It's not got anything to do with anything more than their heart being where it needs to be. There are many Christians today in our churches that if they were to lose everything they had today, the first person they would blame is God. They would get around to blaming the preacher. Then they'd get around to blaming the church. And they would spend the rest of their existence wallowing in self-pity. They would blame everybody else for their troubles. But Job gives us a biblical illustration of someone who did not do that. His response to the terrible news of losing all of his possessions and his children is recorded in verses 20, 21, and 22 of chapter 1. And here's basically what happened. The first thing was that he tore his robe. You say, why did he tear his clothes? That was an Old Testament, Old Testament symbolization of inner turmoil and shock. We've all experienced inner turmoil. We've all experienced shock. We know how that feels. And by expression of this, he tore his robe. The second thing that he did is he shaved his head, which depicted the loss of his personal glory. Everything that he had ever done was gone. The next thing it said was is he fell to the ground. You say, I can imagine so. By now, there's so much pain he fell to the ground. But listen, he didn't fall to the ground in despair. He fell to the ground in obedience to God, and Job worshiped God in the midst of his trial. Isn't that amazing how he could do that after sustaining such loss? reminds me so much of an instance earlier in my ministry. It was about this time, 22 years ago. 22 years ago on this date was my first day pastoring in Georgia. That's why I'm celebrating so much today, right? <laughs> my first day pastoring in Georgia, and 10 days into that pastorate, we had a 16-year-old girl on her way to church on a Wednesday night with her boyfriend, had an accident, just ran off a road. Two days later, she went home to be with Jesus. I wrote about it in my book, Born on Sunday Morning, if you've seen it. Her daddy, Rodney, we called him Hot Rod. Hot Rod, I mean, he had red hair. He looked like Burger Meister, Meister Burger, you know, on the Santa Claus is coming to town show. Y'all remember that? Burger Meister, Meister Burger. Remember the South Pole? <laughs> anyhow, but yeah, Rodney's a good bud, and he'll always be my friend. But I saw God do something and God spoke to me through her daddy's life, 16 years old, tragically killed, goes on to be with the Lord. I got a five-year-old daughter at that time, and I'm, you know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm a young pastor, and I'm trying to figure out how to minister to them. At the end of the funeral service, which was standing room only, kids were on the porch, kids were everywhere. The graveside was just covered up. And it was a, I, all I could think was, the only thing I could think is this tragedy is, the only opportunity I see coming from is to present the gospel to a lot of lost young people that may come to faith in Jesus Christ through the loss of their friend. And I, but after the funeral service and after the graveside service, I went back into the church. And when I went back into the church, I saw Terry, was her name, went to be the Lord, her daddy Rodney. Rodney was in that worship center 
with one of the young boys from our church on his knees leading him to Jesus Christ. I thought, man, you know, that's how you respond to pain. I'll never forget, and it's, it's, in my, it's, it's, it's ingrained in my soul. When I, every time I think of Rodney, I think, there he was. He just buried his daughter, but he's leading old Quentin Stevens to faith in Jesus Christ, to God be the glory. Man, that's the way you respond to pain. And if we'd all be honest, I don't know if we all could just sit here and say, man, I'd be just like that. Some of us would be honest and say, I don't know that I could do that. Job was such a man. Because he said this, he said, Naked I came into this world, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job's amazing response showed us that Satan had made a terrible mistake, which he's good at that. And Satan had utterly underestimated Job he had determined that if this happened to Job he'd just curse God and it didn't happen but see devotion is possible ladies and gentlemen without dollars received in return people can be godly apart from just material gain he said I didn't have any of this stuff when I came into the world I'm not going to take any of it with me the Lord gave it to me the Lord took it away but regardless of where I'm at blessed be the name of the Lord Oh, Job's reaction was he had extreme loss, intense grief, but it verified the words of God about his godly character. He did not accuse God of evil. He trusted his Lord. He insisted that he would maintain his integrity regardless of what came his way. Now listen, here's the hard part. It's easy for us to talk about Job. It's easy for us to read of these stories about Job, and it's easy for us to read about David, and it's easy for us to read about Daniel, and it's easy for us to read about Nehemiah, and it's easy for us to read about Joshua and Caleb and all these. It's easy for us to just read these stories as literature, but listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. This book isn't just literature. This book is a lie. This book has the ability to change your eternal destination. This is God's Word given to man. <laughs> so with that being said when we read the word of God and we read the illustrated life of the integrity of Job I would say boy that's good but we've got to stop and ask this how about us not just us how about you how about me we have to ask ourselves what is more valuable to me than my relationship with God what is more important to me than my relationship and what would keep me from serving God? What would have to happen to me to get me to blame God and to curse God and to do all these things and to compromise my integrity and begin to walk away from Him? That's why I say that pain reveals true character. Notice the second truth with me, if you will. Not only does it reveal true character, pain strengthens our faith. And as pain strengthens our faith, it brings us to that second test that Job had. It was different from the first test because you remember the first test was aimed at his possessions and his family. But the second test was aimed at his own personal health. And this test, this pain, if you will, 
it strengthened God, I mean, excuse me, Job's faith in God even more. If you read on in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and I'll give you these references for the sake of time, but to get the whole scope of the story, you've got to know more beyond what we just read in the opening. In chapters 2, verse 5 and 6, here's what Satan suggests. He suggests that if Job were to suffer physically, he would curse God to his face. You know, Satan makes a lot of suggestions, don't he? <laughs> he suggests a lot of stuff to you. I don't know about you, but in my time of ministry, I've had a lot of people love me. I really have. And I can honestly tell you I've loved every church that I've served. I've loved every person. I can honestly tell you that. Now, I cannot honestly tell you that they all love me back, but a lot of them did. Amen? And a lot of you do. Amen? Now, that don't mean everybody, because here's what Satan likes to suggest to the preacher sometimes, okay? The preacher's pouring his heart out, and I want to say this to you, in the last seven and a half months, I mean, I know many, many preachers that are just pouring their soul out trying to figure out what to do, and everybody's got a suggestion, and everybody's got a better idea and all that, but here's the pain we deal with sometimes. It's we, we deal with that pain of what I call the 2%. Most of the time, it's 2% of pain and of people that are trying to, you know, make a suggestion, to, and it's 98% that are praying their heart out for you. But you know what Satan likes you to do? Satan wants you to take that 2%, and he wants to blow it up. And he wants to make it so big and so loud that you lose sight of the 98% that love you, praise God for you, and calling on God for your behalf. You know, he, he's good at suggesting that. He makes lots of suggestions to me. Does he do that to y'all? That's why I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I told you, I had learned to comfort myself by, by eating. <laughs> I was really good at that. I'm still pretty good at it. I didn't backslide into the piggy sticks last night, okay? We played a little better defense than we did the week before. So I didn't backslide into piggy sticks. But I did try out some of them, um, them ribs out there at the, at the new place at the interstate, Sweet Southern Market. Can I, can I just give a little commercial right here if you like ribs? Mm, yeah, baby. Amen. But I, uh, I did backslide into little ribs. But I, I had comforted myself by, by you know, because you know one thing food don't do to you? It never fusses at you. Food never tells you you're worthless. And food never tells you that you all just curse God and die. Because <laughs> you eat enough of it, it's going to take care of that for you. But I, I, I you know, food, you're a good old boy. You got, and just, it comforts you. and just, But at the same time, it's not helping you one bit at all. And I understand that. And I, I have pastor friends and other friends that have other things and comfort themselves the wrong way. And, and I want to tell you, it's dangerous. But a lot of it's because Satan is suggesting all this stuff to be a substitute for the real work that God wants to do in your life. Satan intensified his attacks on Job by causing him to break out in these ulcerous sores. And he was quite possibly forced to live outside the city and live in the dump where the lepers were forced to live. And here's what this attack did to him. Here's the physical depth of what he went through. He suffered through severe pain. 
itching, degenerative changes in his facial skin. He had a loss of appetite. He experienced depression, loss of strength, worms in the boils, running sores, difficulty breathing, darkness under the eyes, foul breath, loss of weight, continual pain, restlessness, blackened skin, peeling skin, and fever. Can we agree that this old boy was sick? Told me the other day when we talked about that foul breath, there's one thing these masks have taught me. I ate lunch the other day and I had to go into Sam's, I had to put a mask on. First thing I went and he has got me a bag of breath mints. <laughs> I said, son, you're killing some people and you don't even know it. I mean, so I'm sorry, but I mean, I guess I've learned that from this little, little mask deal I'm having to do. But uh, yeah, this boy was sick. But notice his reaction to the second thing. I don't know about you, but if all of us had that going on, we'd, we'd probably find it hard to praise God in that. But in chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says he sat among the ashes. And you say, well, what's that mean? Well, this is a man who once sat at the city gate as a judge, who once was a very prominent man. He is now outside the city on a garbage heap. He's scratching his sores with a broken piece of pottery. And then his wife showed up. See, he didn't have a wife like I have. He had a wife that said, look here, here's what you need to do. You so sick, you just need to die. <laughs> that makes you feel good one today. Misty came in and said, hey, baby, you know, don't try to get any help. Don't go try to go see a doctor. Don't look for medical advancements. And they're like, out of here, baby. I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, this is what, what she had, right? But can I say this to you? The advice that his wife gave him was just the advice that Satan wanted her to give him. See, instead of causing, you know, cursing God through that, he continued to praise him in verse 10. And listen to me, you may be facing a test of your faith, you may be testing the faith of your allegiance to God. It could be health-related, it could be spiritually related, but whatever the cause, here's all Satan wants you to do, it's all he wants the preachers to do, it's all he wants the Christians to do, it's all he wants the deacons to do, it's all he wants the church to do, he just wants you to quit. Hmm. Here's what I know about this old body, and you'll know it about yours. Talked about Galatians chapter 5 last week, this earthly tent, this tabernacle, it's being dismantled. I take me some vitamins every day. Anybody take vitamins? I got me a new one I added to my repertoire this morning. <laughs> Glucosamine. For joint health, right? Y'all not impressed. <laughs> no. Let me take our vitamins. Vitamin C. I know everybody up that. Amen. Jennifer, I mean, I've been... Vitamin C, I'm Mr. Vitamin C, Mr. Zinc. And if I live through this pandemic and don't get sick, I'm going to contribute it to Bragg's apple cider vinegar. Get your big old tablespoon of that tonight. <laughs> Woo, you'll be praising God all over the kitchen. <laughs> they say, does it burn? Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, that's just a joke. I don't know what that, ain't no way to tell what'll happen, right? We're not meant to last forever. We take our vitamins. We do what we can to be healthy and drink a lot of water and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, truth be known, even with our best efforts, we could all, and at some point, there's a cell somewhere in all of us that's going to go bad one day. I don't know what it might be. It might be 
vital organ related it could be cancer it could be anything like that but at some point this body will break down it will not last and we'll go as children if you're a child of God you're going to go spend eternity with Jesus let me help you there you're going to get a new one amen wait a minute hold y'all going to get a new body out there Woo! amen <laughs> y'all remember that song I'll have a new home of love eternal with the redeemed of God to stand there'll be no more sorrow no more pain there'll be no more strife raised in the likeness of my Savior ready to live in glory land help me sisters I'll have a new body praise the Lord I'll have a new life amen I'm excited about that aren't y'all I am fired up about that the longer I live in this tent, the more I'm looking for the new one, right? But here's what you got to ask. What's it going to take for you to turn from God? Or might I say to you, if you're not walking with God, what might it take to get you to realize you need him and that you will begin a relationship with him? Because this is what happens. We got to keep an eternal focus and not get caught up in the world of this body because we're looking for the new one. A lot of people are getting too caught up in this one to even thank God for the next one. Let me mention another truth to you. Pain strengthens our commitment. Job lost all of his possessions, all of his children. His wife had done urged him to curse God and die. He's got some real burdens, and now his commitment to the Lord to live a life of integrity is even further threatened. His friends come to visit. <laughs> He's got some neat friends. They're probably some of y'all's cousins on your mama's side. Uh, <laughs> I always say that my family came from royalty from my mama's side. <laughs> uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Y'all know them. Huh? They came to visit Job. Let me park here for a minute and say something good about friends, okay? I don't know about y'all, but I thank God for friends. I, 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 may, I told them at the, at the volleyball game yesterday, I made a new friend. I may never see him again this side of eternity, but I made a friend. His daughter played on the other team. He was so nice. We were talking back and forth, you know, about the game, how it went. We're so excited about that. I tried to make a new friend this morning. I told him in the early service, I saw a man walking, carrying a bag of dog food or something. And his arms full. I pulled up and asked him, could I give him a ride? And he just screamed at me, told me I was dumb and stupid and leave him alone. This happened in Heflin. <laughs> I was used to this stuff over there in Egypt, Mama. But I'm back here in the promised land. People ain't supposed to talk to me like that, right? And I'm just trying to be nice. So I apologize for any inconvenience. For what I, and I went on about my business, but I apologize. Oh, man, that guy needs a friend, right? Thank God for friends. Look, I'm always looking for God to speak to me wherever I am. You know, God speaks through a lot of different ways. So yesterday at the volleyball game, I'm watching our girls compete. You know what I'm saying, Gabe? You, you and Carly and all the other girls were competing. Oh, these girls, they competed very rear-endlessly long. Right, that's a King James word for behind. Right, they they really they really play hard. But here's what really God spoke to me. I've never seen a group of young people, especially these girls. Because most time girls they get mad at each other. They mad for life. Ain't like boys. They slug it out in the dressing room. Five minutes later, they're down there at the tasty dip buying each other a foot long. But now girls, they don't do that. No, she said that. Mm -mm, mm -mm, uh, so. But I see this group of girls. And man, and we said, "Why, well, shall they play together? And they encourage each other. And when somebody made a mistake, they picked each other up. 
And the Lord spoke to me during that volleyball game and said, he said, son, this is what my church is supposed to look like. My church is supposed to be a group of people who worship me together corporately, who walk with me humbly, and who help each other through the journeys of this life and pick each other up when they fall and encourage one another and cheer for one another and high-five and, you know, whatever kind of little thing they do down there. I mean, that's what God wants his church to look like. But too often, here's what happens. The church gets filled with folks who have an agenda, who want their stuff their way, and therefore do not come together in unity of spirit and the bond of love as God intended for, and it cripples us from accomplishing the purpose for which we were created. So girls, you tell them at practice tomorrow. My preacher said, God spoke to him when we whipped W.S. Neal in three straight sets. They said, well, it's the best three out of five. I said, no, we don't need the three. No, we're going to take this thing. But I'm serious, man. That means something. So when your brother or sister stumbles, pick them up. When they're struggling, help them through. When they need encouraging, give a kind word. It means everything. Let them know that you love God. And because you love God, you can love them. It meant so much. But what did his friends come and do? Well, they came to sympathize with him. They came to comfort him. And these men were some of the best counselors that could have been found anywhere. They were sincere. They were righteous, but their wisdom only went so far. It only went so far as the wisdom of the world. So what do you have in the book of Job? For the next 25 chapters, you have this dialogue going on. And this dialogue is going on from Job and his friends. And here's what they're trying to do. We got to find out what is the cause of Job's misfortune. Friends, let's stand. There are going to be times in your life when you experience pain that your friends, your preacher, even those that know you the best, will not be able to discover the source of your pain. But when pain is viewed through the eyes of eternity, it strengthens us. It strengthens our commitment to God. It strengthens ourselves to our commitment to His Word. And we must be careful that as we seek spiritual direction and advice, that we do not seek it from unspiritual sources. It's kind of like we talked in the early service about the talk shows, how they have <laughs> evolved over the years. Is that a nice word? I had them raise their hand. You don't have to do this because they were sleepy. I had to get them to make their way. Okay. Uh, no, they weren't. They were great. But listen, um, I remember like Merv Griffin, Bill Donahue, God bless him, but uh, uh, who else? Donna Shore. If you remember before those days, you are officially old, okay? Or officially, no, I'm kidding. But uh, uh, I remember that and how they just sit around, you know, they ate on the towel, they had coffee on the couch. How you doing, Merv? Well, I'm doing good. How about you? I don't know. Let's go play golf after this thing. I mean, there's a, and then it evolved into these I mean, we got to Geraldo, and they started fighting and throwing chairs and breaking noses, and then we got into the Oprah, God bless her. I, I'm telling you something, ladies and gentlemen, there are people today that have their theology shaped by these folks, shaped by Oprah, who says there's 
more ways to heaven than Jesus, and he's just one of many avenues? That's not true. That's a lie. Jesus Christ is the only way. But there are people all across this world who will look at a preacher and say, you're narrow and you don't know what you're talking about. There's many ways to Jesus because Oprah said so. She doesn't know what she's talking about. There's one way to heaven. I got a word from God. He knows what he's talking about, and we must base what we believe on what God said and not anybody else. Everywhere. Spiritual advice. Don't go to unspiritual sources. <laughs> and fourthly, and then I'm done. Pain places our focus on eternity. You can read about this in Job chapter 19, verses 23 and following, because here's what he did. He requested that the story of his life be written down and preserved for future generations. Wow. Don't you want your life to bless those that come behind you? Years ago, For Him had a very popular song called Future Generations. It says, I won't bend and I won't break. I won't water down my faith. I won't compromise for a world in desperation. What has been I cannot change, but as for tomorrow and today, I will live my life for future generations. Wow. I don't know about you, but... I definitely want to leave behind a testimony of faithfulness to the Word of God. I want to live behind a testimony of surrender that will serve as an encouragement, inspiration to future generations, that they would trust God in this life regardless of the pain it brings. You know what Job said in Job 19? He said, I know my Redeemer lives. You know what that promise did for him? It drove him. And it drove him to remain faithful to God even during the agonizing days of torment. And he knew this. He knew that after he died that he would see God. Do you know that? Because the Bible teaches us in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 that we will see him as he is. See, the Lord Jesus as he is, I believe that. Job knew that when this life on this earth ended, that he would live on. He knew that. He knew that he would not be annihilated. He knew that he would not sink into soul sleep. And in chapter 14, verse 14, he posed the most striking question of probably the entire Old Testament where he said this, if a man dies, shall he live again? And in chapter 19, he answers that question. Yes, he will. He will live on because our Redeemer lives. See, when we experience pain, here's what it does. It causes us to place our focus on eternity. What are you looking at? And what are you living for? You, you may say that you're not interested in another world today. You may be delusional and say you like this one just the way it is. <laughs> I don't. But see, it's because Jesus Christ, when he changed me, he come to live within me. <laughs> just yesterday, I ran into these folks in the store. And this lady says to me with her children and one of her friends and her children says, Hey, I know you. I tell them, you don't, when you're a preacher, you have to be careful when you hear that. I mean, you never know what's coming next. And I said, well, yes, ma'am. And she began to tell me, well, her and her husband had, had met me before, and I had spoke with her and the children. And I said, yeah, I do remember. And we were talking, and she says, hey, just want to tell you, we're, we're, we're looking for a church, and we consider visiting your church. And we just want to ask you a question. Do y'all believe in the Holy Spirit down there? 
I mean, not a dumb question because, you know, there's a lot of places that don't. <laughs> Amen. But let me just say this to you. I thought to myself, as Baptists, boy, we've got a bum rap here on this thing because some folks think as Baptists, that means we're just a bunch of dried up, shriveled up prunes that just sit in a circle and sing kumbaya. No, 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 listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I thought to myself, I said, ma'am, yes, ma'am, absolutely. Believe in the Holy Spirit, it's hard not to believe somebody that lives inside of you. Amen. I mean, hey, look here. Hey, when we talk about living in the power of the Holy Spirit, He is not someone we should be afraid of. Too many people refer to the Holy Spirit and they say it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity. We should not be afraid. He lives and dwells in every believer. And we should not be afraid to worship God in all of His glory and give Him praise. And it's okay to get a little emotional about Jesus. Those lies. You know, I'm just not real emotional about my religion. That's why. Because religion is not something to get emotional about. Because here's what religion is. Religion is man attempting to work his way to God. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came that you would not have to be religious, but you could have a relationship with a holy God through the shed blood of Jesus on Calvary. Oh, thanks be to God. I can get emotional about a relationship. Religion won't do, but a relationship makes a difference. Amen? Oh, to God be the glory. Well, brothers and sisters, listen to me. You may be experiencing pain today, and you say, I, I can't see God's hand in it. I don't see God's hand in it at all. And I've heard people say that even about the days we're living in, but the longer it goes, the more I see his hand, don't you? And even when I can't see his hand, I try to, Remember the words of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon who said, when you can't trace his hand, just trust his heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Isn't that a great promise? Because you're not going to find that kind of promise in this world. But you find it in God's word. Let me say something else today. Here's the invitation today. Like I say, I know we're still living in a time where it's difficult. And this is the hardest part for me as a pastor, Coach Bird. All these years up until March, I always believed, and I still believe, in providing and presenting a gospel invitation for people to come follow the Jesus I just presented to you. And even though it may not be a come forward so just as I am invitation, the invitation is still here, okay? And here's how God spoke this to me. I shared this in the early service, and I want to share with y'all too right here. I got my, I got my Zorro thing right here. I take this right here, and I just stick it around my neck. And, and that way, if I go in somewhere and the mass Nazis show up, I just pull it up, and I don't get anybody mad at me. And I, and I don't, I'm, like I told you last week, I know my... I am responsible for trying to help protect your physical health, but more importantly, your spiritual health, to watch and care for your soul. So I got my mask here, and I put it around my neck, and here's what the Lord really spoke to my heart. I was walking this evening, talking to the Lord about today, talking to God about you. Do you know that? Because when I talk to God, I talk to him about y'all. Well, y'all matter to him, and you matter to me. And I said, you know, Lord, I, I feel handcuffed because I'm sure there are people who need to make decisions for you, but this new thing we're living with, the social distancing thing, is 
maybe making people reluctant to approach the preacher or talk to about anything. God, help me. And, and here's here's what God spoke in my heart yesterday. Okay, okay. If you're lost without God and you need somebody to lead you to faith in Him, that matters to Him and me more than anything else going on here today. Y'all all right? And uh, there is a chance that you may come and say, I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. And you know what? I think it will. There's a chance if I share with you, talk with you, bow with you, pray with you, there's a chance you may not know you're sick, or you might, and I might get sick. But I also might get well. Y'all with me? Now just stay with me just a minute here, okay? I'm going somewhere with this thing. Me and God done talked about this thing right here, okay? But if I don't talk to you about your soul and help you prepare to meet Jesus for fear that me or you one might get sick and that I might get well. But if I get sick telling you about Jesus and I get well, here's the best thing. You don't go to hell. That's just common, good old horse sense right there, right? Look here. And even if I don't get well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to see Jesus. <laughs> hey, look here. Stay with me, church. Stay with me. But I think what Satan has suggested to the church is, be careful, those people might be infected. <laughs> and if you bow down with them and tell them, like, you might get sick. Yeah, doggone it, I might. I got two members of my family going to the school system every day. Do you think that there's any germs out there? I have another member of my family who's in nursing school going to the hospitals and clinicals where all kinds of junk is, right? But we do those things because we should. And there are children and there are sick people and patients depending on folks in those fields, right? But where you spend eternity matters more than any of that. And if I get sick leading somebody to Jesus, can I just tell you what? It's worth it. You know why? Because me or God don't want you to die that way. Do you know why I know he's so serious about that? It's because his son went to the cross and shed that blood we were just singing about. So as they sing, oh, I've come to tell you he's alive and that he dries every tear of so I come to tell you that he saves, to shout and to proclaim that he's coming back again. Friends, with me. I told you last week, in the beginning of all this, I can stand on my head two or three weeks for a month. I can do anything I can to help protect everybody. But over a period of time, I have to realize, just as the doctors have to realize, they've had to start getting everybody else who's got everything else going on to be treated and not let those things go untreated. I got to make sure your soul's not going untreated in him. And if you're lost without God, the most important thing in this room today is, is that you come to him. So it's a
close of this service today, if you need anything from Jesus, if you need anything at all, I am right here for you, okay? Because I want you to know him. Because that's all that's going to matter when you leave this world. Praise him. Father, in Jesus' name, <clears throat> I thank you so much for this day. Oh, God, how my soul has been enriched how you have flooded my soul with the power of your word, the presence of the Holy Spirit active and moving among your people. God, it means so much. So right now, Father, we're about to close this service. Father, I, I pray, God, that nobody leaves this building today lost without you. And I pray that none of your children leave here today without understanding that your pain has a purpose. And even though we may not be able to figure it out, we're just going to have to trust you, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, guys, I want you to look this way just a minute before we dismiss. I failed to mention earlier, uh, mentioned in the first service, I want to mention again. November 4th, our young folks, our students, y'all listen up close, it's very important. November 4th is going to be a special reboot kickoff, you will, to restart our student ministry that's been kind of on hiatus through this time. And we're doing a special service in the parking lot out here at 6 o'clock on November the 4th. That's the first Wednesday in November. It's the day after election day. It ought to be real close on your heart, okay? So... November 4, right here, uh, in the parking lot, we're going to have special worship leaders and, and speakers and, and all kind of food and all that kind of good stuff. And here's what I want you to do. I want all of our students not just to be present, but bring somebody with you that's not presently involved in ministry anywhere, okay? Please do that. For our adults, we'll be announcing next week the reboot of our Wednesday night for adults, and we'll talk about what that's going to look like. It'll be a little different than before. But we'll talk about that. It's probably starting a week after our students will start. But we'll mention that concrete next week. But November 4th is going to be special. I really is. I'm excited about it. Met with our student leadership team this week. Had some great ideas, some great energy, and really a great uh, focus on students who don't have a part of the ministry. So please, please help us get the word out. We'll get some information out to the schools to let folks know about it. But you guys, listen to me. The best way that those things get communicated is by you telling your friends. Very, very important, okay? So don't forget that. We're going to have a great time, and we look forward to a great future for students because I want to live for that generation and those beyond. Amen? I want them to know that this matters to us. It's a matter to God, and we want to transfer it to them. Don't forget on your way out, uh, offering buckets are at both doors. I appreciate so much your continued faithfulness to God. Please don't let that wane or waver the least little bit because we're continuing to do what God put us here to do. If you need to pick up boxes, if you need to pick up uh, devotional books or anything, the Welcome Center is where they will be, and they'll be glad guys will help you out there. And thank you for helping make a difference in the lives of people this side of eternity so that we can make a difference the other side. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand together. As Marty's going to lead us, don't forget this. You know God loves you, and I want you to know I love you. There's not a thing you can do about it. God bless you. Marty, sing us out when you're ready, bud. At the cross. Here we go. Let's sing that first and chorus. Here we go. Oh.